Welcome to episode 115 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined for the 115th-ish time by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hey, Ben. I love how like you actually had 115th as an actual word, but you still decided to uh, to play around with the language a little bit. Appreciate that. We know, we know that we don't always count this correctly. Is true. This is true. We have a little more than that. We have, we have a couple of bonus episodes and letters and stuff, but we have all sorts of fun bonus letter stuff from you guys in this episode. This is going to be a question-heavy show. Q's, A's, we got them both. Giving y'all the mic. Pretty excited about it. We do this like last year too. Around Wimbledon is a good time to empty the mail. After Wimbledon, rather, is a good time to empty the mailbag. So why don't we do that? You want to just dive right in, Courtney? Let's just dive right in, Ben. Oh boy. Okay. Our first question is an email question. We love email questions and you can send us email questions anytime you want. No challenges remaining at gmail.com is where to find us. This first one is from Magnus S. Bjornsson, who says, I really enjoyed the drama and excitement of the Davis Cup over the weekend. The wins by the Murrays and Hewitt slash Groth being the highlights. I really think it's a shame Davis Cup isn't better covered internationally. One of the better reason, one of the reasons could be the rarity of top players meeting, as opposed to the situation at the Slams. Could the interest and participation by the top players in earlier ra- rounds perhaps be... Oh, it was rubbers. He said rubs, and I was like, that can't be right. Rubs. It's got all the Davis Cup slang down this guy. Earlier rubs perhaps be increased by prize money and ranking points. At present, I feel the amount of dedication and effort isn't reflected well enough, neither by ranking points gained nor by the amount of prize money. Um, another possibility would make participation mandatory. In the 80s and 90s, it was more common for the top guys to invest in Davis Cup participation on a more regular basis. I would love to see, e.g., Murray helping Great Britain win Davis Cup and not jumping the ship right away the following year, as was the case with Switzerland. Best from Magnus Esbjornsson in Sweden, which was a very good Davis Cup company country a while ago, and actually hung on for longer than they deserved to after Soderling left. But, Courtney, mm. Davis Cup weekend thoughts, reflections, let's use that as a way to jump off. That was really the only thing, with all due respect to uh, Anna Schmidleva and the double single double win of Johanna Larson Davis cup was the main thing on a quiet week last week. It was, it was, I mean, look, I, I think that Ben and I uh, talk about Davis cup quite a bit on this podcast. And I think that we both agree. I mean, I'm not gonna speak for Ben, but I mean, at least for myself, I love Davis cup. I always get excited for it. Um, I find the ties, even when they don't involve star players, incredibly compelling, um, but I think that there's a lot of changes that need to be made to it. I think that from the the broader perspective, from a, a casual fan or, or um, you know, that in a lot of ways it's inaccessible. Um, even the language surrounding it, rubbers, ties, you know, all these sorts yeah. of things. It's just like, man, can't we just call them matches, first match, second match? Like, why do we have to make it so, you know, indecipherable to, to a casual fan? But um, But I think it was great. I mean... Quite frankly, I mean, it would be nice if we could make it mandatory, I guess, from just a fan perspective. That's obviously never going to happen as close as you're going to get in terms of the mandatory participation is the system that you have right now, which is tying uh, uh, Olympic qualification yeah. to uh, Davis Cup and Fed Cup participation. Um, and even that, it has not proven exactly, because you, as successful as it might be. Because you can't force them all to play 
the same like round. And it's in the worst times of year. I mean, the only reason, the only one I want to say, make sure I might be making this pulling this out, but I think it's right. Only one top ten player played Davis Cup this week. It was Andy Murray. Yep. And the only reason, the, the main, one of the main reasons, he might have done it anyway, but he got to play in the exact same city where he played the week before. Yep. In London. Imagine if he had on to, the same surface. Yeah. Imagine if he had to go and fly to Vladivostok and play an indoor hard. Exactly. Like that, I you know, don't know if he's getting there. Yeah, and 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 it goes and it, the thing about it with Davis Cup and with Fed Cup, but I think probably in particular Davis Cup because of the format that it's it's over the course of three days. It's also best of five. Um, you know, the only uh, uh, competition outside of uh, the slams where the guys have to play best of five every single round. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the problem is like, do we really want to be sacrificing our best players? Um, for Davis Cup, in other words, like if I want to see Andy Murray or if I want to see Roger Federer or Stan Wawrinka, Novak Djokovic, uh, Rafa Nadal, if I want to see them play their best at tour level events and ATP level events, which in my and in Slam, sorry, which in my opinion are the bread and butter and lifeblood of tennis, like do I really want them to have to like throw themselves onto the, you know, and sacrifice their bodies and their rest and all these sorts of things for Davis Cup? It's just where the tour is at now. I mean, like yeah. winning. A, I think Kelsey Anderson said this when she was on the podcast with John Wertheim over at SI. Yep. Obviously, Kevin has had a bunch of disputes with the South African Federation and hasn't played Davis Cup in a while. And what they were, what she was saying, their stance, the Anderson stance on this is, is that you know the best thing he can do to represent tennis in South Africa is doing well at Grand Slams and on tour, and that's where he flies the flag highest. And I totally agree with that. I mean, like you look at see. Kaney Shikori making a Wimbledon, fi- sorry, making the U.S. Open final last year was worth a lot more to Japan than him showing up for a quarterfinal Davis Cup tie. It's just, it's just where the money is. It's where the eyeballs are in the sport, and it's changed. It used to be bigger Davis Cup, and now it's not. And a huge part of that, as Rafa said um, in his rant at Indian Wells this year, if anyone remembers that, was is that the top guys just don't play it anymore. It's not a best-on-best tournament, and the top guys take turns playing. Andy Murray and Great Britain, as one man of a team they are, look to me like huge favorites to win Davis Cup this year. Or not, if not huge favorites, they at are least... favorites. Yeah, favorites. Like, and yeah. and they only have one guy who's who's going to win singles matches them most likely in the rounds going forward, and Andy Murray, and he can play doubles too, because... Switzerland, which is probably on paper the best team right now with two top five players, they didn't show up this year. Spain hasn't had their top guys show up for years, and they just lost in Vladivostok. Um, a fascinating tie over there in which uh, they were up 2-0 and then with Conchita and then lost three straight ties, and they're staying down in a lower-tier group even though they have you know, like four or five top 25 players. They have more players Spain. in the top 100 than any other country. Right, and they're not a Davis Cup. They're not even the same group. They're behind... Dominican Republic, which just made it into the world group playoffs by beating Ecuador. So the whole thing just reflects this weird alternate reality of tennis. Yeah, it's, it's a bit which, of a farce when when the top guys right. are not in the same group and you can't really explain it. And even like, you know, you talk about Andy Murray and, and yeah, the, the Brits are, I would say, are the, are the favorites to win by slim yeah. margin. But I do think that they are. Um, you look at them and even they played like a depleted French team. Yeah. It's not like the French like brought their cannons in there and you know fielded their best team or whatever. I mean they felt they feel they they fielded a great team, but not their best. And 
I don't know. I mean, I think that it's just so hard, you know, because you can't just call something a competition and tell everybody it's the World Cup of Tennis. Like, so you know, laughable. all of that sort of stuff. And then, like, not back it up in the actual competitive um, yeah. uh, competitive landscape. And so that becomes very difficult to, to justify. That doesn't take away from the fact that when I watch it, I personally, Courtney, am very entertained. But I do have a hard time trying to sell it to anybody who is not one of the, you know, tennis nerds that is like has an insatiable, insatiable appetite for tennis. I mean, look, what it is is like a forest for the trees situation. Like up close, a lot of these ties are beautiful little like bonsai trees of, oh, isn't that nice that people get to dress up in Union Jacks and get excited or that Vladivostok gets to see tennis and they never do. How cool. Then you step back from the forest and it's a scrubby little forest of bonsais. And you're like, what is this? Let's bulldoze it and build a shopping mall. Yeah. It's 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 puny and it deserves to be better. And I think obviously making it less frequent. We've talked about this before. It's a broken record for the show. But every time Davis Cup comes up, you have to say it is what it is. But here's all the reasons why it could be so much better or why it isn't as relevant as it might be and making it less frequent making it more condensed in the schedule not having it constantly the week after slams when all the best players that go deep in slams are too tired to play and that's something that the top women i think share yeah maria maria ranted about that yeah yeah so uh same thing for the fed cup fed cup is obviously no more relevant than davis cup uh yeah old old times but it it is going to be a lot of attention on it with britain doing well and britain getting a pretty nice draw the britain australia semifinal is great for sort of old superpowers of tennis who will get excited about this and it'll be a great tie and it'll be a great tie yeah i mean you know if uh, i think we got a question and i apologize if i can't uh scroll and find it quick enough but somebody was asking who is the team that you'd actually field if you're australia um against uh murray and murray and co um in uh in the semifinals and and i personally i think you field the exact same team that you fielded this time so no bernie yeah, I don't. I, I I would not put Bernie in there. I think that it's especially in Britain. The tie's going to be played in Britain. Like to have to be answering all the questions, and I mean, it's it's a it's a threat of a distraction. And I think that uh, Kokonakis, I think, is probably a better battler. Um, you know, a Kokonakis Ward match. I mean, that's that's a bit of a toss to me. Um, I, what about I would put Groth over Kokonakis in singles at this point, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, especially if I mean, if, it depends. Uh, surface is going to be an interesting call for Britain because do you take it, you know, back up to Scotland uh, in Glasgow and play on a fast indoor court, which yeah. plays into Kyrgios and uh, and uh, Groth and um, Hewitt Hewitt as well. I don't think that it, they're going to be able to play on grass. I just don't think that's going to be no, they feasible. No, grass in September. Unless, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think that. I don't think center court would let them play on grass there. They've they've played. They're going to be reseeding on, like no, the court. They play, no, they played a. I think Tim Hemmons' last match, I want to say, or something. One of his latest last things was a Davis Cup promotion tie um, against Croatia. I want to say it was played on court one. And it was in September, I think. Oh, maybe then. So maybe they would do it. Maybe. I mean, because you could take it. You could, I mean, if you could play on center court and you could close the roof, then you ensure it's on grass. Um, and actually you slow down the ball a little bit, uh, for a, which would play into Murray's favor, I think, against those guys. But uh, but yeah, I mean, surface will be interesting, an interesting call. But I, I don't mind the field, the team that they fielded this time around. Because if you if you play Groth on day one, then you either have to 
then plague Roth again on day three, or you bring in Kokonakis, which Kokonakis in a decisive fifth. I don't know about that one. Anyway, we'll see. It'll be, or they can bring in Hewitt again, like last time and have him do his heroics. And that's also true. Yeah. I was happy for Leighton Hewitt to get that. Like that's the farewell that he wanted was a Davis cup hero moment, much more than losing to Neiman in the first round of Wimbledon. So if that was what he, if he could stop right now, that'd be great. It wouldn't (laughs) be bad. Yeah. Just to stop Leighton. Um, on the Aussie front, we got a quick question from Game Set Tweet. What advice would you give Tomic? We haven't talked, we haven't done a show since Bernard Tomic, by the way, was arrested for trespassing and resisting arrest nonviolently in a penthouse of the W Hotel in Miami, which allegedly cost $9,000 a night. Cool. Cool. Um,. I think that you, I don't know. I have nothing. Or anybody in the Thomas situation. Like, if you, what advice do you give Pat Rafter or anybody? Like, how do you deal, how do you solve a problem like Bernie? Is there any solving it? I don't think there I is. I, I genuinely don't think that there is. I think that uh, with Tom, with Bernard Tomic, he needs to decide what he wants with his career and he, he needs to decide how he wants to be represented. I mean, the guy is basically, you know, leaving money on the table when you start talking about endorsements. And sponsorships, and maybe he, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't care about that. Maybe he does. But you know, I mean, I, I don't think that the reputation and the image that he's being he's putting together. You know, we sit here and we rip on Nick, and not we, because I don't, but people rip on Nick Kyrgios for cursing on court, for breaking rackets, for uh, quote unquote tanking, even though it was not a tank. Anyways, um, all these sorts of things, like. Are we really not going to are we really going to turn a blind eye to what Bernard Tomic's doing, which is like far more problematic than anything that Nick Kyrgios is doing? It's a bit of a double standard there for sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that with Tomic, I mean, he just needs to grow up. He just needs to get this stuff out of his system, which I say this. He's still so young. He's still. Yeah, I I say this all the time about the youngsters, you know, like how many like perfectly like nice gentlemanly quiet intelligent like you know 21 year old guys do you know like most 21 year old guys are kind of pricks and they're kind of douchebags because there's that feeling of invincibility and you're giving acts and you talk about these guys who have like are making money they have an incredible amount of freedom and yeah. on some level they just need to get it out of their system so that they can like focus on what they need to be focusing on but until Bernard Tomic has decided that tennis is what he wants to focus on and his career is what he wants to focus on, like, there's nothing anybody can tell him. That's, that's good advice to people not giving advice. Yeah. Like, Just let, let it be. Let him be. Let him let do it. Let him do his thing. Don't give him something to rebel against. That's fair. Yeah. Like, don't give him and a stance. Just, that's also, yeah, he does not clearly respond well to vague authority figures who aren't his father. This question is from hypopotamus okay amy gould on twitter who asks how do you think renee richards would be received today would she still face the same problems in regards to playing in the wta um and this is sort of a timely question obviously courtney because of sb's giving the arthur ash courage award to caitlin jenner uh formerly bruce jenner who was olympic decathlon gold medalist and came out as transgendered recently and so trans issues in sports are happening there's this big case with this uh uh indian sprinter named duty chand who's they're arbitrating against whether or not she can has too much testosterone to be considered a woman in sport and all these other things that are happening 
And with the Renee Richards, it's interesting because it feels like looking back at it, I was obviously before I was born mostly the Renee Richards stuff. It's amazing that that issue happened in like the seventies. It seems so amazingly ahead of its time. I totally agree. And I cannot imagine like I, if it happened now, we would see it'd be interesting to be fascinating, but that it happened 40 odd years ago is, is shocking to me. And that it, you know, was greenlit essentially that she was allowed to play. is also somewhat shocking to me. And I don't know what would happen this right now. It's a very interesting question. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. And I, I, you know, I haven't, I don't know if like the WTA or ITF has changed rules, you know, since, you know, just from a, would she be able to play question? I don't actually know like what the rule is currently. I haven't looked it up, but, uh, but in terms of like the social acceptance, yeah, I mean, it's still, it, it does boggle my mind because you feel like over time there should be progress, social progress. And, you know, we more and more, um, you know, transgender issues are part of the public conversation. You have the show, you know, transparent as a show, um, and getting Emmy, noms getting Emmy nominations and things like that. It's a great show. You guys should watch it. Um, although it's also really frustrating, but I think we've talked about this it's before. It's so frustrating. I know, but, uh, but yeah. And you're ready to not like anybody on it. Watch it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but it's great. Uh, well acted and all that, but, um, yeah, so it the the weird thing is as I thought about it, I kind of and this is really sad, I kind of had a problem believing, honestly, that it would be as accepted today as it was back then. I'm not sure it was super accepted back then. Yeah, well that that's fair. It was allowed. It was allowed. Was. Yeah, fair enough. It wasn't necessarily accepted. Yeah, but so should maybe should be allowed. It's another question. I mean, it's a totally yeah. fair question. I mean, because that's what's happening with this duty chant case. I don't know all the details of it. Basically, um, this Indian woman who was sort of had her, and this happened, happened before with Castor Semenya and stuff, I think sort of had her gender questioned. Um, and it, now they're saying that her testosterone levels are out of what is an acceptable range for a female competitor. And they want her to get them lowered, essentially, is where it stands as of last counting. I, it, it's, I don't know. It would be... It's a totally different case. I mean, the whole trans and sport with how gendered sports are thing is un- unknown frontier. I mean, there, there's even talk I heard with as far as Caitlyn Jenner goes. Some people were petitioning to have her the, the time she set as a oh, as man. Bruce be set as the new women's records for various track events. And I was like, that doesn't make no, any sense. No, that's not. No. But so, but the, it's just like this this can of worms that this whole thing's opens, and so. But the, but isn't I, it, I, I but is if it ever happens, but isn't but, but isn't the issue though? Gosh, I really hope I'm not misspeaking here, and I really, if I am, believe me, it's because I just I'm ignorant and dumb, not because I mean anything by it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll co-sign that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just hard. I I I can't. I'm not pretending to know uh, everything about transgender issues and even the science behind it and all these sorts of things. But my understanding was that. Like, if you're transgender, it's because your gender identity is switched with your physical body. Right. That you identify as a different gender. That doesn't mean that your body doesn't do what your body does. Right? So, like, in that situation with Bruce Jenner, like, yes, he may identify as female, but his body is still the body of a man, which means that it is capable physically and physiologically of doing things that a woman's body can't do. Right. And, I, and, you, and identity is a completely different thing from physicality. That's the point of transgender, uh, the transgender kind of disconnect. 
movement. Yeah, no, and I right? think that so that's why that doesn't that, make any fair. sense to me. And, and then it gets then it gets grayer when there's like hormone replacement and things like right. that. Right. That's the thing. It's like what happens after the transition. That's where things get really murky. But yeah, the petition that his record set when he was like physically a man should be now the women's record is absolutely ludicrous. And weirdly, I find offensive. There was another, <laughs> this is not, this is not really related at all, but there was another, just reminded me of this. There was a story that Karen Krause did from the New York Times a couple years ago about, I think somewhere in Massachusetts, I want to say, but I might be wrong about this. Just because of Title IX or something, they had integrated boys and girls swimming. So for some reason, like, so they had eliminated boys swimming as a sport, but boys could compete on the girls swimming team. And all these boys started breaking like state records in girls swimming. No shit. And, and yeah, no shit. And like they started like not they started putting their names like up on the record books, and like taking off like women who were had had. Oh, because it would be like years. a league rep because they didn't make the distinction. It became like a league rep, like a league it became, record. It, it became like the fastest ever hundred meter butterfly time in a girls championship meet was now held by like Colin. What? I know. I gotta look that up because that is I think <laughs> the story was cray. The story was cray. Ugh. Yeah. That's so anyway, weird. so it's, yeah. it's a whole it's a whole mess. Well, I'd be curious to hear any listeners' thoughts on this. If you want to send us emails, most definitely. Yeah, it, it could easily happen again on, on WTA. I mean, it's, it's I bet it will happen again at some point in the next couple decades that we'll see a player um, who was male, maybe not a former player like it was with. I mean, Richard Raskin when he became Rene Richards was older was the main thing that differentiated him. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a fascinating question. It would make up for a lot of interesting thought so anyway yeah because yeah because you you're really i don't know you're really talking about physiology there yeah. like just what no, what um, what a male body is physically capable of doing that a female body can't and that changes the entire playing field yeah i don't know it's it's perplexing i don't really know how where i stand on it i'm just i'm i'm working it out just like everybody else does is but the point is i want to work it out and i yeah. think that that is the progress that hopefully has been made because and the tone of the, the tone of the conversation would be very different now, at least than it was with. with no, uh, for Renee sure. Richards. I mean, like, I I have to I have to relay this story because it's pretty adorable. The night that the ABC interview aired with Bruce Jenner, my mom had come home, and I was like, and they're big sports fan, and I was like, you know, you know Bruce Jenner, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom and my dad, and I was like, yeah. So there's this big announcement coming out tonight, and so I started to kind of explain it to them. And my mom just kind of was like, wait, what? And she just really didn't, the, I, the concept of gender identity being separate from, you know, um, sex and like all these sorts of things, like it was hard for her. But like she sat there and she watched the whole thing and she was like asking all the right questions. And I was like explaining it to her like completely rationally. And by the end of it, she was just like, that's great. Meanwhile, my dad, like middle of it, he kind of got up and left. And I was like, Where, where'd you go? And he's like, oh, I had other stuff to do. And I was like, what did you think of the story? He's like, I don't really see what the big deal is. He's like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. Like, if he's happy, she's happy. That's cool. I was like, yeah. that's pretty cool. And my parents are definitely like the boomer generation, like, you know, closer to 70 than they are yeah. uh, 60. And I was very impressed because it's a topic that like a lot of people can be like, what? But and it should elicit a shrug. That A shrug is progress. Exactly. The shrug side. is progress. Like, and, that, yeah. and that's sort of, if that's the, not that I have any, like I'm not with people like saying objecting to the, her getting this award because it should go to a soldier, but just like, I'm also like, yeah, people have been doing this. Okay. You did it too. Yeah. Cool. And just her being a Kardashian by <laughs> marriage, at least makes me just think badly of anything 
that she does on some level. And that's just not her. That's me judging her like anybody else who's a Kardashian. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, from the Kardashian side of things, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a report that I read that it's ESPN and ABC are owned by the same company. I saw this. Yeah. This was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It was on like Radar Online or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically there's a story being reported that Caitlyn Jenner's PR reps or whatever management or whoever, whether it was quid pro quo, I don't know how strongly it was, but basically pushed very hard that Caitlyn Jenner get the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award at the ESPYs, uh, which as I mentioned – his parent company is Disney, which also owns ABC, which is yeah. the uh, network with which Caitlyn Jenner uh, went with to make her big announcement with Diane Sawyer. Yeah. So if you piece it all together, you can see how maybe that might have played out in the negotiating room. She's such a damn Kardashian. She's such a Kardashian. Oh, cannot with her. All right. Um, because she's a Kardashian, not because of the other thing. Let's just Obviously, clarify. and that's me respecting her as a human and just thinking <laughs> she sucks for being a Kardashian. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We're just going to do a bunch of random different levels of depth to these questions. Uh, Patty Schneider is coming back this week in Darmstadt at the 25K there, which is very exciting, uh, or at least mildly amusing, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Lawanda asks us, which next we which next we thought was retired player? We'll come back to play. Any guesses? I'm going to go Aveta Benesova. It's a solid guess. Because, yeah, as maybe people know or don't know, uh, Aveta Benesova, Czech player, uh, retired, uh, was married to Jurgen Meltzer. I can't remember yeah. what year they got married, but it was maybe like three years ago, I want to say. And they have recently separated. She wrote a very heartfelt post um, on her blog that she tweeted out last week um, about the separation. She, she's back to Aveda Benesova. And she's still relatively young. So... She could. She could do some stuff. If Nicole Vitasova can do it... It's the Vitasova formula. It's the, yeah. it's the I'm, di- I'm divorced. Or Hingis. Where's, where's my racket? It's exactly what Hingis did, too. Yeah. All those, like, Czech Slovak ladies are really into this move. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, your, your, your time opens up. The thing that you thought you were going to be committing your life and time... Th- two is is now gone and uh you know you got to make some money as well and you do this thing that probably you're one of the 100 best at you know if 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 you can get yourself uh back fit and back into form why not yeah so she's my pick so what's how about you Mm, it's a tough question um i would say who's been retiring you know i'll just say clysters it's always a good odds on that right (laughs) fair enough why wouldn't not maybe not for singles maybe like because Kim was also doubles number one. Fool me once, coming back for for Fool a me uh, twice <laughs> for like an eight for like an eight tournament a year like the, the same way that early Hingis comeback went. Yeah. Before she got really full time, I could see Kim doing that. I'll go with Kim. Kim's always my guess for this. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Interestingly, neither of us said Marion. No, I guess I don't think Marion will come back. I think Marion and Marion is playing more now. I think she's doing more sort of exhibition. She's. Uh, looking pretty good shape these days. I, I it's great. Think she could. She looks yeah. phenomenal. We saw her at the but. WTA player party, and there were a, a number of people who were who did double takes, like because they didn't recognize her. She looks. I mean, she looks. Yeah, she looks great. Yeah. How about this question from Anna Tennis Fan, who asks us anything to say about Sergei Sakovsky's latest words of wisdom, in particular uh, both tours reactions, which I didn't expect. So we didn't talk about this on yeah. the Wimbledon show. Um, Sergei Stakovsky 
noted mouth on the ATP <laughs> tour, not much of a player, but noted, noted, noted talker, um, said that in a, in a couple, in a surprisingly dense, in terms of just what, <laughs> of a very short interview clip that was put out, um, said that he thought there were no gays in the ATP top 100 because they all know each other too well. And it, it just knows there isn't anybody. He's confident in that. Um, even though for a while he thought Gasquet, Rafa, or Roger might be, but nah. And then also that he sort of, that he thinks the WTA, essentially every other player is a lesbian. And that because of that, he wouldn't want his daughter to play tennis. Yeah. Basically how it was read. Yeah, that's pretty much what he said. And and both tours, Stacey Allister and Chris Kermode came out pretty strongly against it. With the, actually the ATP, and this is sort of what Anna's getting at in her question, said that they would be looking into possible further actions against Sergey. Nothing been announced since, so we, we'll see if that actually happens. But it was a, it was a stronger statement, I think, than maybe has been there in the past. I was such. impressed. Yeah, I was. Saying. I was not expecting a response whatsoever from either tour. Um, so I was quite impressed that they actually came out as not just with the response, but as big as they both did. Um, because you know, from the ATP perspective, it's like, you know, it's Sergey Stokowski running his mouth again. He said you know, similar things in the past. Um, there have been other players who have said equally offensive things um, in, that no one's ever said anything about. Um, Alexander Dolgopolov had a, a dust-up on his Instagram uh, making comments about homosexuality and that it's 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 deviant and uh, a choice and uh, all these things. But then later clarified, I'm not a homophobe. Um, so Obs. obviously... Uh, does anyone go around saying I'm a homophobe? I don't think so. Does anyone does anyone carry that card? I don't think so. I don't know. Weirdly, I don't think so. I mean, it's like I don't know, but yeah. yeah. So so you know, and and ATP's never really cracked down. I think that I would suspect that a difference here is that Sergei Stokowski is on the ATP Player Council. Yeah, and so he is not just a random voice that's muttering or grabbing the microphone and saying things, but he is actually someone who is in a position of power that represents the ATP on some level. Yeah. I think that in that situation, it is your responsibility as a tour to distance yourself from his comments. Um, Do you think you should get kicked off the council for these comments? Um, that's a good question. I'm just thinking it through. Yeah. This idea of like policing. Show your work, show your work. No, no, yeah. I mean, the, Obviously, I completely disagree with Sergei Stokowski. I never, I don't think that I ever retweeted any, I never tweeted his comments. I just was like, ugh, whatever. Um, and that's generally how I deal with things. Like, when Donald Trump is popping off, I don't actually comment on Donald Trump and I don't tweet his comments. Like, I'm just like, whatever. It, I'm just, it's, it's, I'm it's in the corner. attention. Yeah, they want attention, they get it, and then they like... You don't know, feed the trolls, I just guys. don't do it. I'm just in the corner, you know, moving my fingers up and down, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. So in that situation, I mean, it, the problem is that you do get into this kind of uh, ideological, like policing people's ideology. Right. And I, and while it's great when you when the progressives or you have a leadership that's a little bit more, you know, liberal and progressive and is a stance that we all agree with, what happens when it's the opposite? Yeah. No, I mean he's he's happy. I mean I I would personally I think no. I don't think they need that. 
Kermode or who I don't even I don't think the ATP Constitution has measures for such things. <laughs> I'd be surprised if it did, but I don't think they need to. If the if the council wants to vote him off, if they decide to do that, that's fine. That's their right, I guess. I, like I said, I think they're kind of the rules they make up they make them up as they go along with Hashtag player council tennis. type. Yeah, of course, obviously <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have anything like this in place. Um, rules, what yeah, rules? I, and if, if obviously for him to say what he wants, it's his right. And for people to shout it down is their right. And I think we can just sort of move on from there. I don't think as, as vehemently as I obviously disagree with his sentiments um, or just even his presumption is more the sentiments. And, uh, and yeah. again, it, it, it goes towards, you know, a basic kind of democratic electoral process. I mean, if he's going to say what he says and if he's going to, you know, put the ATP in quote unquote disrepute according to how cer- a certain segment of society sees that. But if he gets reelected year after year after year, well, then that's also uh, a statement as to um, the rest of the players on tour. Yeah. Right. I mean, if the majority are like, yeah, this guy said all these things, but it's cool. We like him on the council anyway. Well, then that's a message that they are more than welcome to send and they can send the opposite message as well, which is this sort of um, um, this this point of view this worldview is not tolerated and uh and we're not going to reelect him so you know there is a mechanism to remove him but he is part of an organization if that organization is they can shout him down all they want but if he keeps getting elected then there you go then you get a yeah. then you get a sense of what, what uh what people in the locker room think exactly uh let's move on to another question i'm going to modify this question a little bit it comes from well it's evan Evan writes, uh, more likely to make Hall of Fame, Petra or Stan. I'm just going to change it to better career because I think Hall of Fame debates are sort of silly on some level. I mean, um, based on the current criteria, they're both making it. So Right. So the better career, debate. let's just go head to head. Petra <laughs> or Stan, if they both stopped, if they both, let's say, retired tomorrow, who had the better career and why? I will go first on this. Mm-hmm. I think it is Stan. Okay. I think Stan came up in a much tougher era. Um, if you look at who, for example, Petra beat to win Wimbledon in 2011, it wasn't that many. I guess it was some decent players. She beat Azarenka and Sharapova, but neither of them at the peak of their powers. Um, and won one other slam since, and again, kind of vacated draw fashion. Uh, Stan has been a giant killer bulldozer in an incredibly tough era and has broken through his own way. And one of Davis, they both won their national team competitions, Davis cup and fed cup. Stan is an Olympic gold medal. Um, I pick Stan. I think doing what he's done on the men's tour right now is tougher than doing what Petra's on the women's tour. Okay. Uh, I will go the other way. Okay. Uh, and I will say Petra. And while I totally understand the, 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 the strength of schedule argument, right? The, uh-huh. the, the era argument. I get that. Um, but at the same time, Stan Wawrinka, 10 titles. Petra Kvitova, 16 titles. Stan Wawrinka's 30 years old. Yeah. Petra Kvitova's 24. Um, there's a very strong argument to be made that Stan Wawrinka underachieved through the course of his entire career. Of course. Up until uh, the last recently. 18 months. Yeah, totally. Right? So you're basically saying that in 18 months, he had a great 18 months that was better than, you know, Petra's whatever you know, two years, I guess, right? Effectively, yeah. 2013. That's fair, I suppose. But over the course of a career, when you, I don't know, when you kind of average everything out, I still think that, like, Petra has accomplished 
a little bit more. Um, yeah, I mean, the strength, you know, but to win two Wimbledons when Serena's around and Venus are still ar- is, is still around and still playing. But she didn't she didn't beat either of them there. No, she beat Venus once. Fair enough. No, I totally agree with you in terms of like in terms of how Stan went about going through. But mm, last time I checked, the two opponents that Petra played in the final were not one of them was injured. So you want to talk about the Australian Open for Stan, like I'm not one to put an asterisk on that one, but a slight asterisk given uh, Rafael Nadal in the final. Um, okay. So there is that uh, Davis Cup. He's had Roger Federer with him to help him get that Davis Cup title. No, for sure. Po- for pocketed. Sure. So it's not like he was like the guy in the way that a Petra Kvitova without Petra, um, they're not going to do it. Uh, the checks. So there is that as well. Um so, yeah, I mean, when you are, I mean, the strength of schedule thing, I totally get if people want to, like, emphasize that. I get that. But in terms of over the course of a career, when, if I don't know, I think that, like, bang for buck, Petra Kvitova has had the better career. She does. She's accomplished more. In a, balls. She's, yeah. she's, she's accomplished more in a short amount of time. That's totally, totally fair. And if you guys want to vote, vote Petra, please, or Stan super duper hashtag <laughs> those i don't know those you guys really terrible things. hashtags really super bad terrible. right yeah thank you so much i don't think i could come up with much worse if i tried yeah. um let's do a couple serena centric questions Serena's obviously the player of the year who's most relevant um let's start with tony who asks us you're in the serena camp what do you look for in terms of prep ahead of the open decent match play defending the two titles etc first of all i think serena has three titles oh she has two titles right she has stanford cincinnati hi bronco <laughs> he wants on he wants on the p cast uh yeah she has those two titles um yeah so um i think defending the titles matters not not at all i think the most important thing for serena going into the u.s open is health yep and health yes um so if maybe not playing zero matches not necessarily zero matches but i think Apparently there's a squirrel outside. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't say zero matches, but you know, if she goes into Cincy, let's say, let's say theoretically the elbow still isn't great. She chooses to skip Stanford, still not great. She chooses to skip Toronto. As background, by the way, she already pulled out a Bostad this week. Exactly. And she also pulled out of her two planned World Team tennis matches with this a, week. Yes, with the right elbow injury that she says was sustained during In practice. Madrid. She said Madrid she, initially. And yeah, then, I know. Yeah. That's I know. I was working. I was getting there, buddy. Um, no, I'm just saying what was reported is that she said that it was reaggravated during practice in Bastad, but it is the same injury as as the one that she was dealing with uh, through Madrid on the clay season and all that. So she's choosing to heed the advice of doctors, which I think is a very good call. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think for, for in my opinion, it's all about health, the, the confidence. There's no reason for her to, to doubt her confidence. Um Health, 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 health. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe don't read newspapers. What matters, is, <laughs> what matters is the U.S. Open. Like, honestly, this uh, winning Stanford this year, and this is all due respect to Stanford, would mean absolutely nothing to Serena. Nothing. Could not be a more meaningless title coming where it does in the calendar with what she's just achieved, what she's going to achieve. But no would you say that if she was it. playing D.C.? I bet you you wouldn't, you bastard. You're so right. You're so, so right. 
No, you're not. No, I think she, she, I mean, I think she should play at least one of Toronto. If she's at all healthy or feels like she's not hurting herself, should play one of Toronto or Cincinnati. Probably Cincinnati because it's close. I would say Cincinnati. Yeah. And then Toronto, ask you how you feel. Play Cincinnati, even if she's just play a couple matches and pull out, whatever. And go to New York, get some practice, and prepare for the craziest two weeks of your life, lady. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. Uh, let's talk about the U.S. Open. Let's do another Serena question going forward. From BB, who says, do you think the WTA and or USTA are prepared to capitalize on Serena Williams' slam excitement? And a similar question from Blythe Hooker, who asks, why does the USDA not promote Serena more? Seems like a huge missed opportunity for USA Tennis. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think they, There's they promote Serena a fair amount. I mean, they put her in all the US Open commercials and stuff. First of all, uh-huh. um, it, you can't, I mean, regardless of your federation, you can't like actually just use players willy nilly um, as much as you want for your ad campaigns. I mean, th- these are generally contractual things or they're built in. Like, just because Serena plays with the USA flag doesn't mean that the USTA can build entire campaigns just around her without her uh, input or signing off or anything like that. Same with, like, LTA and Andy Murray or Nick Kyrgios in Tennis Australia up in Canada, like a Jeannie Bouchard or a Milos Raonic. Like, a lot of the promotional uh, gain that these federations get, they either do have to kind of pay for or... um, I mean, quid pro quo. Yeah, there's a quid pro quo aspect of it. If I'm Serena Williams, there is a part of me. I mean, we saw this in um, at Wimbledon and a little bit at the French Open. She might not want the fanfare going into the Open. It's very possible she doesn't. I don't know. She doesn't have a choice. I mean, she doesn't have a choice. But I'm. But to the extent that I understand. But to the extent that there are things that she can control to minimize fanfare, she might actually take that control. No, I, I agree with that, and she should. I mean, she should keep distractions kind of. Not that she hasn't done. Not, I mean, obviously the whole Serena distracted whatever trope has been played out for so long. But she doesn't need to do excess promo before the U.S. Open. She can just do what she normally does, yeah, with a little less. I mean, Absolutely. we saw like at in London, she did the Taylor Swift concert on stage and everything, and that worked out fine. And she does Letterman the last few years every year before the U.S. Open, and she's won three U.S. Opens in a row. She so won't get to do that anymore. Well no, Letterman is gone. There's no talk shows around, yep. sadly, the week before the US Open. So I don't know if she'll be doing anything on that front. Um, she can do it after. Or morning somebody. shows, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, I mean, just, she doesn't, Serena doesn't need She doesn't need shows. any. That's, this is no. the thing. Serena Williams doesn't need to do any of this. And, Not at all. Um, and that's my point, is that, like, yes, you could criticize USTA or you could criticize WTA. You could criticize, like, uh, the uh, whatever. Um, but... Or like tournaments, for example, like, I mean, tournaments have agreements uh, with players and in those tournaments, there are certain, you know, uh, there is a an agreement as to how you can use certain players to promote your tournament and not. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I was just answering, responding to the specific question, which is like, no. do, why doesn't the USA do enough? I don't I, I know. Don't, I don't know if they don't do enough, but I also don't know if that's entirely in their control is my point. I will say they do do things that are more behind the scenes. Like for, I know, I know for example, the USDA was fairly instrumental or at least somewhat driving in getting uh, Serena Williams, a Rolling Stone feature. Mm-hmm. And you remember how that turned out? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, but they do do things that are more behind the scenes. They are someone who is 
zoomed out several circles out part of Serena's team in a vague sense. But also it's it's important to remember too that at least with respect to Venus and Serena, the US these are not these are not players that are a product of the federation. Not at all. So any I mean it it's it's a gift that Serena and Venus uh kind of bolster the federation as much as they do. Yeah. Uh, because it, 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 they really didn't actually benefit from it. Like, you know, so uh, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, I would just say. It's like, it's not always as clear cut as like, we're the Federation, we have the number one player in the world, possibly the greatest of all time, you know, running towards history at the US Open. We're going to plaster her face everywhere. It, it's not, and it's not always, that's not always an option. Yeah. Um, and you but- risk pissing off players and, you know, like if Serena doesn't want her face plastered, I don't know. I'm I'm totally spitballing. But like if Serena doesn't want all that and then you do it anyway because you have the right to, what's the backlash from that? I don't know. It's complicated. Here is one more question about Serena coming up. This is from Anu, who asks us, Anu Padu, um, asks us, if someone were to beat Serena at the U.S. Open, how do you think it would be received? Isn't competition better than dominance in the long run? And I will say, first of all, Serena winning the slam is better than anybody else. Better than anything. Better, better than, than anything, anything. In, the, in the long run. In the long run, I, nothing would help the sport more than Serena winning the Grand Slam. Yeah. Agreed. Full. And a period. Full stop. Yeah. So there I you go. Think of a, I could not think of a scenario in which that wouldn't be the case Agreed. this year. Could not. Agreed. Um, that said, if Serena does win, we, we're talking on Monday this week, the same day that Jordan Spieth's Grand Slam bid just fell apart. Or fell in the end, uh, lose, came in pretty close, missing the British Open playoff by one stroke. Um, if Serena doesn't win, what does it all mean? It means Serena had a pretty damn fucking good year. Yeah, that's what it means. It, it's kind of the same thing as like with Spieth, after he he, you know, obviously missed the playoff, and um, like the commentator just like the hyperbole and the overwrought like, this is just a colossal heartbreak for Jordan Spieth. I'm like, I don't know, man. He won two majors and he's 21 years old. He was pretty bummed, though. He was pretty bummed. I'm sure he's bummed, but, like, I'm sure he'll be okay. He'll be fine. He's got Athletes nice are allowed to be bummed everywhere about him. But, like, yeah. you don't need, like, like commentators being like, oh, your heart just breaks for him. He has two majors. He was going for history. He's 21 years old. He'll be fine. <laughs> That has been Courtney Nguyen <laughs> on Jordan Speed. That's me. That's me um, on golf. Here is another question moving on. Uh, question from Footfault Tennis asks, which city slash country most deserves to host a WTA slash ATP tournament, but currently does not? Uh, let's do city and country separately. Uh, let's do this in and out of America first. Let's pick an American city first because we are Americans. Chicago. Chicago. That's just any any generic tournament. There. I don't care what tournament there should be. Ter- there should be tennis in Chicago. That's very fair. Midwest. I mean, especially now you got Madison uh, mm-hmm. up there. I mean, she's closer to to, to Chicago than she is in, she is to uh, Cincy. Um, and uh, Taylor. Taylor. Donald Young. Donald Young. I mean, it's been Chicago has produced a lot of great players, and they don't have a tournament. And I think that that's baloney. And I think it's a great opportunity uh, to get a, a strong, I think that tennis needs a stronger foothold in the Midwest. Um, and it's doable. I mean, it, there's no reason other than like the incredible heat and humidity and the conditions, but like, hell, they play in Atlanta. Uh, but yeah, my, my vote immediately would be Chicago. I, I think Chicago should have all the things. 
My vote would. I thought I'm surprised you didn't pick Portland by that metric. You can't play tennis um, in Portland. <laughs> it's cold and rainy. It's not happening. The Pacific Northwest does not need a tennis foothold. The tournament director would like insist on using wooden rackets and stuff to be. Oh, terrible. chill out. Okay, chill out. I'm allowed to make Portland jokes. God, you're getting so sensitive bad. about Portland. It's not that bad. Not that hipster. That was just a joke. It wasn't a great joke, but it was just a joke. <laughs> Chill. Um, I would say, in terms of city, I might add Boston to this. Yeah, Boston, Boston would be a good have a city. Doesn't have any tournaments. Uh, they have World Team Tennis, so it's not the same. Yeah, Chicago. Um, I feel like Kansas City has a really good tennis reputation. There's just, I mean, there's just a lot of cities in the U.S. Denver, uh, anywhere in Texas, besides Dallas, essentially. I mean, I guess or Austin, that would, in the right time of year, could work well for tennis. It's just we kind of being greedy on that front. Okay, let's move on to the rest of the tour, though. Um, to ATP tournament, I would totally put an ATP tournament in Korea. Yes. That needs to happen. Yes. That will happen pretty That'll, soon. That will happen. That's not, that yeah. Needs, that's, that with, with Young Chung coming up, and they have a lot of juniors, too. Like, I was, whenever I talk to the American juniors, and they talk and they talk about the rest of the world, they're like, oh, there's a lot of good Koreans. Yeah. There are. So it's going to be a thing. The Korean boys will be a thing. Duck, uh, he, Lee, and... Uh, uh, the other one, there's another one named Chung. I forget what his first name is. Yeah, there's a lot of Korean boys coming up. So there will be a thing. Country-wise, that's my pick. Do you have a country pick for that's WTA, maybe? One. That's a good one. I'm trying to, um, let me think. Uh... They have a WTA, obviously. They have a sole one. International. Yeah, yeah. Um... Which always gets great crowds for having a not great field. Oh, Koreans love tennis. Just yeah, they, like, they... like, tennis and golf are really big sports in Korea because it's kind of considered like the high-end business sport. And so because of that, you can get sponsors, you can get, I mean, they, they, they do it the right way. I mean, I wish that um, Japan, I feel like Japan needs to kind of catch up a little bit on that end now these days. Um, And the rest of Asia as well, like China, but I feel like the Koreans are actually pretty sophisticated tennis fans. Yeah, I agree. Um, Country. uh, I mean, I still, I mean, South Africa. Okay. I think that for it, women's tournament or men's. Men's, but okay. I mean, I think that that te- there there should be a, a tennis tournament in Africa that isn't Morocco. That's fair. I think it needs to be um, like the, or, sorry, happened, America, the Australian yeah, Open. Um, if it was gonna be there. Yeah. No. No. For sure. I mean, that's when Johannesburg used to be. Right. Was immediately after the Aussie, but um, yeah, I mean the fact that they're just outside of of Marrakesh the, and uh, I guess Casablanca, like zero tournaments in Africa, that's problematic. That's good. I would say um, in terms of cities, I would say Berlin in a heartbeat. Oh God, yeah. We've said this before. Move Madrid to Berlin. Move it all to Berlin, please. I want to go to Berlin more, you guys. Do me a solid. Uh, yeah, no Berlin for sure. Cities. Um, how about Edinburgh for an ATP event? Ooh, that's Glasgow. fun. Somewhere Glasgow. Glasgow. Yeah. Um, that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots just of little, places. Just a little fall indoor tournament or something, you know. How about the Jersey Janovitz Open in Krakow? Is Jersey Janovitz somebody you can build a tournament around? I would. I would decline that loan immediately. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a banker in Poland, I mean, like, the fact that we got this guy Janowitz, and he's uh, he's gonna be like a super stable force for this tournament. Like, I don't know. The fact that. that like the Belgrade Open or the Serbian Open couldn't sustain itself is like shocking to me to this day. 
Well, Novak only played it once, I think, right? But what if you made it like ATP WTA? Like, there's a crap ton of players. That's the thing. WTA, Serbia needs a WTA tournament. They've never had one. Yeah. How is that possible? Put WTA tournament in Serbia. Like, I want young girls in Serbia to, like, see Ana Ivanovic and Yelena Jankovic play tennis. Before they retire. Yes. They barely play Fed Cup for aforementioned reasons. Yeah. So... And I understand the economy and, like, whatever, but I'm just saying that, like, if if we could, I would love to see a WTA tournament in Belgrade. It'd be pretty cool. Not that they ever would, because they're obviously, they're, you know, looking out for themselves, which they should do. But it'd be pretty cool if, like, Anna and Yelena or just one of them got together with somebody and made a tournament. Even if it's just, like, once. Yeah. I feel like, w, I feel like WTA should be okay with people holding a tour event like once. If someone's like, hey, we're going to hold a tournament in Belgrade in 2016. Or more. Just doing it once. Or more of those, even yeah. just more of those exos that they used to have back in like 2007, 2008, 2009, when like the three of them were coming up or like on top of the world, like whatever. Like they would have a few more exos and the kids would get in and, and things like that with all of the discussions surrounding like the ticketing debacles around Davis Cup. And the tough crowds when it comes to like Fed Cup, like in in Serbia, it'd be. I mean, is there? Is it absolutely impossible that you can't get you know uh, eight Serbian players together, all of whom are in top one hundred, uh, to come together and and play like because they're all characters, they'd all have a good time with it. I mean, that'd be a great event. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Manning and for sending your questions. As we said, we'll take more questions in the next few weeks, so keep sending them. We'll keep reading them and giving our answers. Uh, you can also keep up with us when you're not listening by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis and by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. If you want to get new episodes automatically, you can do so by subscribing to us on iTunes where you can also leave reviews, which you like, and any other podcast app of your choosing to get the episodes every Tuesday that way. Every Tuesday, not during slams, but pretty much every Tuesday. We're pretty good for several months now. I must say, we're so regular. It's intimidating to myself. Courtney, do you want to go first or second with your rant to take out the show? Uh, whatever. Why don't you go first? Give me some, buy me some time. Okay, I will buy you some time. Um, I have a bunch of different rants and raves jotted down in front of me, but I'm not going to go through them all. I'm going to pick one. And since I'm pretty sure everyone is, first of all, super sick and tired of me talking about women's soccer, I'm going to skip my women's soccer rant. Um, you're welcome. Uh, I have a couple of other ones that I can use at another time. They're not time sensitive. But this week, it's comics week, apparently. Um, and there's a great uh, post on the Onion AV Club called um, Your Own Origin Story, 21 Comics to Get Newcomers Hooked, which is really great, and we'll provide a link to it, um, that basically kind of breaks down comics in all its different sort of genres and a few, like, two or three starter comics to kind of get you into them. And I've never really been... I've always liked comics, and I like comic books, like, like in terms of, like, characters and things like that, but I actually don't particularly enjoy the whole comic book uh, system like just buying these like little comic books all the time and waiting for a new one to come out and the serialization of it. I have no patience for it. So it um, seems like a money drain. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, it was just like a treadmill that I just never really wanted to get on. So most of my comic book, like traditional comic book understanding of like Marvel and the DC universes, like kind of come like 
ex post. Like it would come when like finally that series of books was done and they compiled them into a volume and then I bought the volume and then I read them all at once. So it's a little bit different. Like and um but the thing that I wanted to say is that like I actually love graphic novels more than I like comic books. And I'm a super if you know me, like I'm super evangelistic when it comes to my love of graphic novels. Like I want people to read them. I want people to uh, discover them, to embrace them as a literary form that's no different than an actual novel or literature, because there's just amazing stuff that's being done um, in the comic, in the graphic novel uh, vein over the last decade, decade and a half. Um, that's just, I mean, my some of my favorite books that I've read in that time um, across the board have been graphic novels. So that's my push and rave on graphic novels, but I'm going to push a specific one because it's probably like, I don't know, I want to say like one of the five best books I've ever read. Like when people Ooh. ask me, like, what are your five favorite books? And it's like, oh, well, To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, you know, like you check off all of the, the ones, but the one that is always the curveball to people is a 2003 book by my favorite um, artist of this genre of books, um, Craig Thompson. Um, and the book is called Blankets and it's very thick. It's like, it's brutal. Like it's brutally thick. Um, but it's basically just this coming of age story about, you know, um, it's somewhat autobiographical, I think with Craig Thompson and it's about faith and it's about, um, yeah, just maturation and, you know, just sexual identity and discovering yourself and all that in, and it's so beautiful the way that he draws it. And I've bought this book, like this book costs 20 bucks, like even cheapest, like on Amazon, I think it's $17, like just like a lot for a book um, in paperback. But I've probably bought it like, I want to say 15 times. What? To give wow. to people. Okay. okay. Like, or I give my copy away and then I have to like buy a copy That's for fair. myself. But yeah, like I'm constantly giving it away. Um it's wonderful. It's just, it's, it's about love and loss and all of these sorts of things, but so there's so many themes, but if you've never read a graphic novel, but, um, the idea of it intrigues you, or if you're like, you know what, Courtney, I'm going to read this thing just to prove you wrong, because this sounds like a cockamamie scheme. Um, start with blankets. It's just, it's lovely. And, uh, and I read it at once a year and it's great. You were saying also on Twitter that you watch Robin Hood twice a month. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen you watch Robin Hood. Well, why do I have to watch it around you? Because I, I don't know, but I feel like I've been <laughs> around you enough times that, like, I would notice that this was a constant thing. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I was surprised by that. Like, right before I go to sleep or if I'm working okay. at, if, like, at home if I'm working, like, I always have some show or movie going on while I'm working, and Robin Hood is always a go-to. The Disney Robin Hood, you guys, not... The animated one. The animated Disney Robin Hood, which, another rave... If you haven't had an opportunity to read it, uh, um, uh, Film Crit Hulk posted an essay about this uh, version of Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood, the animated Robin Hood. And it is incredible because it tells me a bunch of stuff that I didn't know in terms of the context of the movie, which is that it was done, you know, as one of those sets of movies after Walt Disney passed away. And basically Disney was like getting fleeced and the animated department and animation department wasn't getting any money. And so in a lot of ways, like Robin Hood, like the movie was basically an allegory for the entire that time in the Disney animation department and like like the sheriff of Nottingham and um, and uh, the prince were like modeled after these two guys who basically kept 
like coming into the Disney animating studios and like refusing to give them more money or cutting budgets, um, forcing them to reuse footage. Like apparently there's a, there's a, a scene from not scene, but um, a, a cell from um, the Aristocats <laughs> that's in Robin Hood because they were like, no, you have to reuse footage. And they were like, what? So like there are Aristocats in the Robin Hood movie. <laughs> that's pretty insane. Yeah. So if you get a chance, I mean, I can include a link on that as well, but it's uh, it's a great essay and it makes you appreciate the movie even more. My rant will be also film related. I saw Trainwreck over the Oh, weekend. did you? I did. Tell me more. I liked it. It was very, very much an Apatow movie with like all the genders flipped. It was ah. like, it was like, ser- like really like alarmingly so. Like it was not alarmingly so, but like it's this like sort of like struggle bunny of a person, Amy Schumer, playing the normal Seth Rogen role. Um, you know, who's sort of whatever, and then finds somebody who's, like, theoretically out of their league, but not entirely who they sort of like, and just sort of goes on from there. And and they also have, like, other things happen that make it somewhat more poignant than your average basic rom-com. I don't know, I just thought the whole thing was fairly role reversal in a way that was interesting, um, because mm-hmm. it's been such an obvious mm-hmm. trope the other direction for so long. And something um, that Apatow has totally been criticized for. Right. And so this was really just like flopping the pronouns in the script. Interesting. Like, okay, that'll be girl, this will be guy, whatever. And it, it was really fun. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of celebrity can if we're, it feels weird saying cameo for a movie, but <laughs> there were a lot of cameos. Chris Everett is in it very briefly. Comes I out heard, of yeah. Um, she's in a scene with LeBron. LeBron is amazing in this movie. He's really, really good. Um, other people that are famous are in it. I won't give away too many. But it's it's just it's just a solid movie and Amy Schumer. It's mostly just it's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but at its worst, it's just kind of Amy Schumer being Amy Schumer, which I think which is, is just pretty good. Tremendous. I I you know you pay money for that easily. Yeah. yeah. So Amy Schumer's cool. I hope she wins the Emmy for best comedy actress this year because she's nominated for that. I think she's a swell lady, and yeah, solid movie. Go see it or watch it when it's on TV endlessly. I assume in about a year. <laughs> Most likely TNT. Most likely TNT forever. Um, have you seen Seven Days in Hell? I have not. Oh, it was great. I finally watched it last I to, night. I need to watch that, yeah. yeah. It's about tennis movies, and I haven't seen it. Yeah, exactly. Now, Seven Days in Hell is the HBO mockumentary uh, parodying effectively Mahu Isner, while also taking a scathing look at, you know, Agassiz, uh, Borg, Lendl, or sorry, Borg, uh, uh, McEnroe. Um, McEnroe rivalries, but... It's it's so it's it's only on HBO Go right now unless you can find like a torrent or something. Um, But it's so perfect for tennis fans because there are so many like kind of hardcore jokes, like hardcore tennis jokes um, that are just so perfect. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many little in jokes that are wonderful. So I was kind of thinking that it was going to be like, oh, kind of diluted and a little bit too cliche tennis cliche just so that you know, to uh, appeal to a a mainstream audience. Like Wimbledon the movie. Exactly, you know, kind of, and, but it's absurd. It is hilarious. You will have the the cameos again in, because when you mentioned cameos, the cameos in Seven Days in Hell are perfect. Um, Serena's in it, right? Oh, Serena's a big part of it um, because she's supposed to be, they took in Andy Samberg's character. So he's a Williams. His name is Aaron Williams. Um, and as she calls it, it's like a reversed blindside. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. So she's amazing in it. Chris Everett's great in it. McEnroe's hilarious. Copperfield has one of the most, David Copperfield. Yes, David Copperfield has Weird. one of the most hilarious lines I've ever heard because I just was not expecting it. Um, it's obscene. It's absurd. It's perfect. It's right in my wheelhouse. It's everything that I love about Andy Samberg and kind of his um, general take. And it's very cute, too, because the guy who not wrote the I think the guy who wrote the movie has been friends with Samberg since they were like in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And he is now a writer on girls. Oh. So that's how because Samberg wanted actually this to be a full length Hollywood movie, but they couldn't make it happen. And then. Um, via their connections with Lena Dunham, uh, we're able to get it. And Lena Dunham's in it, and she's hilarious, too. Awesome. She kind of kills it. So, um, but yeah, it's great. And it's only 40 minutes long. But oh, it's only basically, 40 minutes. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's okay. only 40 minutes, and it's, yeah, it's basically about a, a match that lasts seven days. I'm ready. This sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great. Pretty exciting. Thank you guys very much for joining us for this not nearly that exciting episode of Questions, but we did our best, and we hope that you enjoyed it. And we will see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye, guys. Ciao, ciao.